Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Ann Lewis, the Director of the Technology Transformation Service at the General Services Administration. Ann, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Thanks, Jason. I'm really happy to be here today. One of the reasons we're talking is, well, you're new, which is congratulations. I guess you've been around for uh, pushing about 10 months, nine months now. So there's still a lot to go on. So it's great to catch up. But I also came across the TTS annual report, and there's a lot of really interesting things in there. So let's start with the annual report and, and discuss some of those projects that the TTS team has helped agencies accelerate their modernization efforts over the last year or so. And and then we'll kind of look forward and, and get into uh, what else you're working on for 2023 and beyond. But let's start with that uh, uh uh, annual report, what are some of those plans that you want, some of those projects you would like to highlight? So in this particular annual report, TTS describes how it uses American Rescue Plan money specifically. And I'll just note, um, that's one of many sources of funding that TTS uses to work on a variety of different projects. But as we noted in the report, we used American Rescue Plan funding to work with agencies to improve the public's experience and access to services. And many government agencies and many programs were already headed in this direction, but the pandemic really forced benefits access online all of a sudden and forced agencies to take a digital first approach. And some agencies were already there and some were struggling with the transition. And in some cases, we saw government programs get more usage than that particular program had experienced before, like unemployment benefits websites, for example. So we work with agencies to help them manage the transition and understand their digital footprint, as well as the user's experience of the benefits uh, website or program. And we use a variety of different tech tactics like journey mapping and user-centered design to help agencies deliver better government experiences and in particular, remove barriers to access benefits. Ultimately, what we want to do is we want people to more seamlessly and directly access their benefits. And I'd be happy to share some examples if you're interested. Absolutely. I definitely want to get into the examples. And one of the things that maybe we'll take a half a step back is, is now, TTS is a fee-for-service organization for the most part. Explain, folks, if they're not necessarily, they've heard of TTS, but maybe aren't sure how it works. Or do you get asked to come in from agencies? Uh, just just explain a little bit of that, that how TTS Sure, works. yeah. TTS is a very, very broad portfolio. So we have 25 programs, including uh, two consulting teams that are fee-for-service, two fellowship teams uh, that are not, and a variety of product teams, including those working on critical government infrastructure that are funded in a variety of ways, including American Rescue Plan funding for the next few years, and also uh, the Federal Citizen Services Fund, which is an appropriated fund, as well as the ASF fund. So it's a very complex, broad portfolio that's ultimately focused on helping agencies innovate, helping agencies lower cost and implementation risk, and figuring out what the experience of users are across agencies and programs and reducing burden, helping agencies meet the user where they are. I appreciate that. I think a lot of folks think of TTS and probably think of the consulting side, but you all obviously do so much more. So let's talk about what you've done over the last year or so. Let's let's jump into some of those examples, some of those projects you worked on that you helped uh, through either the American Rescue Plan Act funding or, or, or other efforts. For the American Rescue Plan, one example of project work that we did was HUD, Housing and Urban Development, saw a need during the pandemic to help homeowners access housing counseling services by updating their counseling locator tool. Our technical experts embedded with this team and helped them improve the site's accuracy and speed. And we also broadened the effort to include related programs like mortgage relief. 
As a result, people are using the new self-help tools to more easily access information and get services quicker, and call center volumes for that tool is down by 90%. So this is an example where getting the right tech skills into the right place with taking a pragmatic approach really helps to deliver better outcomes for the public. And we also saw a spike in demand during the pandemic for cross-agency services that needed to go digital first. As you know, FedRAMP provides a cost-effective, risk-based approach to help government make better use of cloud services. As agencies try to improve digital benefit systems, they need more cloud service providers of all kinds. And so during the pandemic, we saw authorization requests for providers surge. So we used some American Rescue Plan funds to help clear the backlog of FedRAMP authorization requests for both new and existing cloud offerings. And we still have more work to do to modernize FedRAMP, which, as you'll note, was recently written into law. And we're going to use some American Rescue Plan funds as seed money to do that, too, so that we can be ready for increased demand in the future. I also have some examples of projects that we're working on in the TTS portfolio, aside from American Rescue Plan funding, that are funded from a variety of different services, as well as fee-for-service. The Centers of Excellence are working on some exciting public-private partnerships to figure out the best ways to bring the best ideas from artificial intelligence, including generative AI, and the use of large language models into government. So they've recently put together an event uh, called the Applied AI Challenge that's focusing on large language models. And we think public-private partnerships like this are an exciting and critical way to bring the best ideas into government. We also have a project that we're working on in coordination with the United States Digital Service and the IRS to build a new direct file tax product. The 18F Consulting Organization is also using user research to try and improve weather.gov. And many TTS products and programs and teams will be working together on projects related to the 21st Century IDEA Act, which is a great framework for helping government agencies understand the best and most pragmatic ways to modernize. So just a lot of really exciting stuff going on. The other side, of the, along with the Applied AI Challenges, is we brought up FedRAMP, so let's go down that path a little bit. One of the things about FedRAMP is it's people have a love-hate relationship with it, right? They, they, love, uh, to, they love the idea around it. They love some of the, the benefits it brings, but they also have uh, some concerns about the cost and the time and the surge capabilities that GSA brings to it. So what are some of those ideas you have and what some of the ways you are trying to seed to improve FedRAMP? There's a lot of things that FedRAMP has done over the years, but we're looking forward now. What are some of those things uh, TTS is doing? We see the opportunity and the challenges with FedRAMP. And so we're, we're building up the team. We're making the, we're doing some hiring to make the team larger and bring more skill sets into the team. And also we're investing in automation to improve the authorization and continuous monitoring processes. We think bringing in the right tools and building out the team will help us deeply understand all of those processes and figure out the right ways to scale them so that we can build the right cloud service provider marketplace that truly serves the federal government's needs. And I imagine no matter where you go and you hear folks in industry or government, there's there's that kind of, we'll call it frustration with FedRAMP. I imagine you hear that quite a bit and, and that's kind of pushing TTS to, okay, how, how can we continue to improve this? Yeah, I, and so whenever a program gets to what in the tech world we would call product market fit, we build something that is actually useful and then this, the use cases start to scale up. Then we see scaling and growth challenges that we are listening to our stakeholders about taking seriously and making plans to address. We will be scaling up the FedRAMP program and we hope to make it more effective for both cloud service providers, assessors, and uh, agencies that use the program. As I said, it's definitely one of those things that people see the, the value in, 
Uh, I think they, generally speaking, vendors and others always want more and more and more. So you, you put, put GSA and others in a, in a little bit of a tough spot. So hopefully they can understand that. Oh, not a tough spot. It's actually a big opportunity. And I think we're facing this kind of opportunity across all of our programs. And so what I really want TTS to focus on across the board as the new TTS director is operational excellence. Uh, We need to really understand what our customers need. We need tight feedback loops with customers of all kinds. We need our agency partners to the table, and we need to be investing in the right kinds of scaling and automation activities across the board. So that's exactly what we're going to do for FedRAMP. Expand that idea out of operational excellence beyond just FedRAMP, because I'm sure that applies to everything TTS does. What are some of those ideas you have as you look forward into 2024 and beyond? So I think we need to invest in operational excellence at all levels. Part of this is building our cultures of management and our standards around leadership and program management. We want to make sure that managers have the support they need. Program leaders are using the right kinds of planning tools and doing the right kinds of stakeholder management tactics that fit their project. And ultimately, when we have a tight feedback loop between what users need and what the experience of our product is and also how we're prioritizing our roadmap, then we can iteratively improve over time. We're also investing in program management. So we're building our compliance and governance capacity. We're identifying where we need to improve governance processes. I'm personally investing in cultivating leaders in TTS. I think that's absolutely important at this stage in TTS's growth. And organizationally, we're doing a lot of organizational development activities to de-silo teams, connect up expertise, create internal and external economies of scale when we're able, and make sure that all the best practices that we learn about are applied internally as well as externally. Ultimately, to me, TTS is about people, products, and platforms. And by people, I mean discovery, implementation, and consulting work to catalyze agency progress. When agencies need expertise to help define, plan, and execute a vision for digital services, we partner with the agency while also them help, also helping them understand how to build capacity. By products, we mean shared infrastructure and tooling that helps agencies deliver faster and with lower risk and lower cost. So as we're all aware, agencies and programs are doing a lot of work in parallel, and sometimes that work is duplicative. Sometimes programs are paying vendors to build the same things over and over and over again. And since TTS can see across agency boundaries, we can see where there's duplicative work happening and we can provide building blocks and tooling that's commonly needed in the development and delivery of government digital services. One of my favorite examples of this is the U.S. web design system. In today's era, if you need to build a new website, you start with something called a design system that gives you a scaffold for how all of the best practices around accessibility, interoperability, form, styling, et cetera, how those are all put together as a scaffold for future web development. If you start with the U.S. web design system, then we do a lot of that work for you so the agencies don't have to do it over and over again. And when more agencies adopt the U.S. web design system, they begin to share a common look and feel and common set of modern best practices. Today, over a billion page views a month come from websites that use the U.S. web design system. And finally, platforms. These are interagency experiences that create cohesion and economies of scale across agency boundaries. So when the public needs to interact with potentially multiple agencies around the same or similar need, we can see across those agency boundaries, help understand the user experience end to end, and we can help agencies build and operate government-wide platforms that enable and centralize those interactions, ultimately reducing barriers for access for users. And on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion. My guest today is Ann Lewis, the Director of the Technology Transformation Services at the General Services Administration. 
I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Ann Lewis, the Director of the Technology Transformation Services at the General Services Administration. As you laid out these three kind of focus areas, how are you taking those and translating them into priorities? Uh, because so much of what TTS does is, you know, agencies come to you for help, asking you for areas of help. How, how do you then marshal your resources? How do you prioritize projects? How do you prioritize funding? How do you prioritize metrics? Give me a sense of how all this kind of fits together, uh, because I think one of the things that people always want to know is, okay, what value am I getting? How am I, what, what help am I getting to move from, you know, point A to point B? So some of what I mentioned has to do with what projects are working on, and some of it has to do with how they're working, and some of it has to do with how we're all working together. So we do strategic planning and prioritization at all of those levels. And in general, all TTS projects and programs should be focused on helping agencies deliver better government experiences to the public by reducing barriers and meeting users where they are. All the work we do comes down to that. Some of the projects in TTS, uh, like login.gov, are fully scaled products. Some of them, like the centers of excellence and the communities of practice, have to do with bringing people together across government to share best practices and learn from each other and create reusable templates for ideas that represent ideas of how things should be done. And some of what we're doing in TTS is just understanding how to best work together as a 500-person organization. TTS is the largest independent agency independent technology organization in government. We have so many valuable resources that we can use to make a huge impact. One unifying principle that I find helpful uh, when we do these strategic planning discussions is that digital government teams in general aren't in startup mode anymore. We've done a lot of work, we see the need. It's time to focus on operational excellence and scaling, scaling of technical systems, management systems, government governance systems, programs, scaling all these things up to meet the demands of the American people. But ultimately, we're here to help and we're here to get to work. And as technologists in government, I think there's a special calling uh, that brings us to the to the work. And whenever we can make a difference in the lives of the public, it, it really, it's a huge deal. It really makes us feel like we're using our tech skills in the, in the best possible way. And one quick question that I just want to jump over to login.gov for a brief minute. You mentioned the COEs and the communities of interest as well and, and bringing together people and maybe re- developing templates and playbooks. Has the COE model changed? Again, I know you've only been here about for about nine or 10 months, but from your experience and what you've been told, has the COE experience changed? Meaning they used to go into agencies as these SWAT teams and really help people. Are they still doing that? Or are they more, let's bring people together and, you know, kind of, again, the playbooks, the templates be more kind of, big, big thinking type, or they do both? They do both. Both the Centers of Excellence and 18F provide fee-for-service consulting services to government agencies. And uh, the the Centers of Excellence have a few specific lanes of offerings they provide in 18F for more general purpose consulting. Uh, These two organizations often work together, and it just generally depends on what does the agency need? Do they need something that we have a template for? Do we need something? Do they need capacity building and uh, modernization advice, in which case maybe they need a consulting agreement or maybe they have folks who can show up to communities of practice. Just depends on the need. What we're trying to do here is mirror uh, private sector offerings in terms of tech skills and uh, modernization best practices in a really pragmatic, user-centered way. 
All right, I appreciate that explanation. And, you know, we, you know, obviously, years ago, we heard a lot about COEs and COEs going to agencies. You, we don't hear a lot about it anymore, but it just doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It just means maybe it's old news and, and we've just, we're, we're used to it now. So I, I thought it was good to clarify that a little bit to see if things had changed. You mentioned login.gov. We know there's a big history behind it. We, we don't want to rehash it, but I know that FAS Commissioner Sonny Hashmi uh, talked about a new roadmap or a new plan for login.gov. Maybe offer some details about what that looks like and where that's heading. And then uh, what are some of the latest efforts around login.gov, whether it's bringing new agencies on or just expanding the capabilities? Uh, Give us an update. So we're making a lot of progress on login.gov that I'm really proud of. We recently put a roadmap online for our partners, and we believe this reflects transparency to both our partners and the public. And it shows how we are committed to keep providing benefits and how we're thinking about delivering the U.S.'s publicly operated identity verification system. This is a priority for TTS leadership, GSA leadership, and the administration. And as a result, we've been investing in people management, program management, strengthening the organization, improving our delivery culture, and trying to make everything more consistent and ensuring all teams have the organizational resources across GSA that they need. At TTS and at Login, we are committed to transparency and to customer listening. We're committed to customer service. And ultimately, what we want to do is reduce burdens for the users. But most importantly, we are accountable to the public. We're committed to privacy. We're never going to sell your data. We're building this product for the public. That's what service means. Every day, Login.gov is providing the public with access to the critical services they need and GSA and TTS will continue to support and invest in login.gov to ensure that it continues to meet the needs of the public. When it comes to the roadmap that you all laid out for login, beyond the transparency piece you mentioned, what are the features, what are the controls, like where do you want login to look like a year from now? Is that the, the, that kind of roadmap or is it more about the things you're doing to reassure folks to, again, create the value, create the transparency, create the trust? I'd say it's both. We're meeting regularly with our agency partners and we're doing customer listening, not just in the form of surveys or user research, but also looking at behavioral data to see where where people get through to their their end goals and, and where there are barriers in the in the user flow. And at the end of the day, we want to meet the need that the government has expressed. So we're working closely with our agency partners and stakeholders to understand uh, what are all the ways in which we can meet their needs? And in particular, how can we play a role in combating fraud? But ultimately, we're going to be building all of the changes and all of the feature improvements and all the scaling improvements based on what agencies in the public tell us that they need. A couple of things as you look forward into 2024 and, and beyond, uh, we mentioned a lot of different priorities. You mentioned a lot of uh, different aspects. Are there certain areas you are specifically working on as you head into 2024? Are there specific priorities that you say, hey, here's something we want to accomplish either internally among TTS or externally with specific agencies? So ultimately, I think all the work that we do that helps agencies deliver better government experiences to the public while saving money, saving time, reducing implementation risk, all of that work is valuable. And ultimately, what I want TTS to do over the next couple of years is strengthen and scale all of our programs and all the ways in which we work. Digital government teams aren't in startup mode anymore. It's time to focus on operational excellence. It's time for us to scale up to meet the needs of the American public. And we're here to help. Let's get to work. 
And of course, uh, there's some uh, additional funding out there that folks uh, can hopefully lean on or you can lean on to use. Is there anything about the American Rescue Plan Act funding that's uh, how much is left? How much is still being parsed out for specific projects? Is there anything you can tell us about that? We're we're using all of the funds on a variety of different projects and programs and be happy to tell you a few more examples of those programs, if you like. Please do. I think one of the folks, uh, as we saw the funding come out, we know about, obviously, the Technology Modernization Fund and, and the billion dollars that went there. Uh, while you didn't get a billion dollars, I think you got $150 million, which is still a nice chunk of change. I think folks are interested to see kind of the impact that's having. So in addition to the examples I mentioned earlier, uh, we're doing a lot of looking at search and site navigation data to understand whether they find what they get stuck. And- and then we use the rollout uh, customer experience and uh, user experience related interventions. And that, that's something that has happened across a variety of different projects. In general, any places where you can remove a step or make something that's asynchronous, synchronous, you can drastically improve outcomes. And in particular, outcomes around uh, benefits delivery. As we dive more into understanding benefits delivery and, and how it works through digital properties, we've also launched the Public Benefits Studio which is working on a low-cost digital notification project called Notify.gov. The idea behind Notify.gov is to make it easier for federal agency programs to layer text notifications into an existing system without having to rebuild the whole system. So when users need to take an action, for example, if they applied for something and they need to re-upload a particular document, or if their benefits are about to expire, typically with the way that most benefit systems are, are set up, um, the users have to remember to log into yet another separate website and check that website every few days or few weeks to understand what the status is of their application or if there's a problem. But this is not the standard that we see in the consumer tech world. In the consumer tech world, you expect that if there's a problem, like if, for example, your credit card expires and a website can't bill you, you'll get a notification. You'll get a lot of notifications. So what we want to do is bring that tech industry standard into government. And what we're building here is a way to layer notification technology into existing systems without requiring those existing systems do a big expensive rebuild. So um, we're really excited about this and we're hoping to roll it out to agencies in the next year so that agencies can use notifications and omni-channel messaging to reduce barriers for people to access or enroll or re-enroll in benefits. The goal here is to enable federal government to conduct its own activities more seamlessly through the use of technology without having to call your vendor and do a whole full rebuild of the system. That's a fascinating project. I appreciate you sharing it with us. I guess this, the last thing on this is, is that something you're going to pilot? Is that are pilots already in process or is this still in that development stage and you'll start looking into, okay, what are our next steps once we kind of get to the point where we're ready for an alpha or a beta test? We're piloting it right now with a small number of agencies, and depending on what we learn and how well those pilots work, and in particular, what we learn about the integration challenges that agency programs have and how we can make those challenges more seamless within the way that we make it possible to integrate with this tool, then we'll roll it out more broadly. And before I let you go, just one last thing. I I think as we talked about the TTS goals and plans and the accomplishments you've had over the last year, and and as I said, we'll link to your annual report on federalnewsnetwork.com as well so folks can find all the good work you you all have been doing there. What's, if you will, the message you want to make sure federal agencies, federal clients, even vendors know about TTS? What should they know about how you are working today and and how you will work in the future? Digital government teams tech talent and government, 
we aren't in startup mode anymore. We've we figured out how to pragmatically help out, how to help out with modernization, digital delivery, figuring out how to make the user's experience of government programs, especially benefits programs, work better. So what we really want to do is partner with government agencies to improve the public's experience of government. And we really want to focus on operational excellence and scaling. That means scaling technical teams, management systems, programs, all, scaling all of these things to meet the demands of the American people. Um, so what I really want to say is we here at TTS, we're here to help. We have highly skilled people, useful products, platforms, consulting organizations, fellowship agent, uh, organizations, and all these things can help agencies with the many technology challenges they have and make it easier for them to deliver better government experiences to the public. So let's get to work. All right. Your phone may be ringing off the hook now, so just be prepared. You know, a lot of people may <laughs> listen to this and get excited. But uh, Anne Lewis, unfortunately, we are out of time. So I will let you go back to your day, and, and I really do appreciate it. My guest has been uh, Anne Lewis, the Director of the Technology Transformation Services at the General Services Administration. Anne, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Jason. We have to take a break. When we come back, we're going to switch gears a little bit. We'll continue to talk about the General Services Administration, but hear from FAS Commissioner Sonny Hashmi. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Sonny Hashmi, the Federal Acquisition Service Commissioner at the General Services Administration. Sonny, always a pleasure to catch up. Thanks for taking the time. Jason, it's great to see you. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the chat today. We are talking specifically, and there's always so much to talk about FAS. You know I can talk to you for hours. And, and, uh, but today we're talking specifically about the recent reorganization of the FAS regional offices. You all did a blog post to kind of announce what's going on. So let's dig a little deeper. Let's just go right to it. What's the rework about? Give me the basics of, of why you're doing it. What's it looking like? Uh, go ahead. We're pretty excited about this new path that we're charting uh, for FAS. So about a year and a half ago, we started asking our questions around what would FAS look like in 5, 10, or 15 years from now. Our mission and ultimately the mission of uh, the agencies that we support and how they deliver on that mission has changed quite a bit. Accelerated even further, this change has uh, been during the COVID years. And so as the government rethinks how it delivers for the American people, a lot of those uh, traditional ways of delivering uh, service uh, are changing. And so as we looked at the work that we do and how we're organized, we discovered that a lot of the customers that, uh, that we work with are expecting a different service model. They're expecting us to work with them in a one-on-one capacity. They, under- they, they expect us to understand their mission very deeply. And they, they want to work with teams that they're comfortable with and they, they know. And those teams need to have deeper understanding of their mission. So all those things coming together, we also recognize that the talent as we move forward, that we're going to need and the expertise they're going to need is located all over the country, in all jurisdictions, in all uh, locations across the country. And so we asked ourselves, how do we organize ourselves for the future that takes advantage of this amazing talent pool across the country that we can tap into, but at the same time align ourselves more, more closely to how our customers are organized? And uh, with that in mind, uh, we took on a uh, fairly long process, uh, including uh, the voices of many people at all levels of the organization, and in a bottom-up approach, rethought how the future organization uh, structure could look like. And that's led to today, which uh, I'm very excited to share that uh, just in a few weeks' time, we're going to be transitioning into a new organizational structure where uh, major organizations within FAS, including AAS and CASE, are going to be aligned to customer segments. So now we're going to have teams that are fully aligned to a customer's mission. That team and the customer working closely together 
are going to be purely focused on achieving mission outcomes that their customer cares about. And I'm confident that over time, this is going to uh, lead to better service delivery and access to talent and opportunities within the organization for people who are looking for uh, the next uh, next step in their careers. Sonny, let me jump in for a second because I think there's more to delve into. But when you say align to the customer mission, help me see what that would look like. And maybe there's an example you could give that kind of would put a finer point on it. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I'll, I'll give you some examples. So, uh, if you think of uh, some of our biggest customers, let's take uh, the U.S. Army, for example. Uh, the U.S. Army obviously has a mission all over the world, not only all over the country, uh, but also all over the world in international theaters. Historically, the way we supported them was uh, kind of decentralized. We were organized in different geographic uh, areas, and therefore the teams that were supporting uh, the U.S. Army uh, mission uh, were distributed across the country, and therefore, depending on the location of the Army command that we're supporting, they may get service from a different team. Now imagine that will lead to, and, and, and it certainly has, different processes, slightly different ways and approaches of doing business, and the overall uh, experience for our customer was fairly disjointed. Based on the teams that they were working with, they may get slightly different answers. Some teams had excess capacity, others couldn't uh, accommodate some of the work. And so by bringing all these teams together, they're supporting the Army into one unit. Now they can do more capacity management, they can support the mission in a broader way, and the Army will have one team that they can continue to work with for all of their mission requirements across the globe. So that's just one example on how, by bringing these teams together, we're going to be able to deliver better outcomes for our customers, but also develop better internal expertise uh, to really understand the customer's mission and actually do much more flexible uh, staffing and uh, capacity planning. So one of the reasons why this probably developed the way it did is because the Army has bases in Huntsville, Alabama, and then they have bases in, you know, you pick it, Seattle, Washington, and then they have bases in Hawaii, and then they have bases in Europe. And you need different people in different time zones to serve that. Is that still going to be the case? Or are you going to have people on that team that who are working you know, 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. or some time frame to serve all customers at all times, within reason, of course? Right. I want to make it very clear, and uh, this has been some level of, uh, you know, these questions come up. We are not going to change where our folks are located. We're a global organization. We have folks all over the world, and they, those folks will remain in those theaters uh, to support our customers. And in, in fact, being next to our customer, being close to their mission, is actually one of the driving factors for us to do this change. And so we're going to continue to have these teams located worldwide, very close to where the mission is, is being executed, including the United States. We're going to have team members all over the country. This in no way means that these teams will have to come together physically and be co-located in one location. And by having this distributed model, we're going to be able to provide not just around-the-clock support, but also support uh, from different parts of the country where we may have different expertise. As an example, we're seeing a lot of uh, you know, different uh, colleges and universities that are, ex that, are, that are developing expertise in different areas. By having uh, the ability to recruit this talent where they are, we're going to be able to tap into this talent pool and have a, geographic, a geographically diverse footprint. I'm glad you brought up the employees because even though they're not being required, for instance, to go, okay, I, live, I work in Huntsville, now i got to move to Florida, they're going to be giving new managers, new teams, new people. You're moving Gs, and that's always difficult. One of the questions that I've gotten, and uh, I think it's a fair question, is, is the why. I know this hasn't been done in a long time, maybe ever, and that's not really, you know, 
people say it's not really a reason to do it, but what's the business case? What's the problem you're trying to solve? How much of this was driven by customer surveys? Give me, give me a little bit of background about the impetus. It's difficult sometimes in government to make a change happen in the absence of an adverse event. Oftentimes when a change like this happens, this is, a, is the outcome of some sort of a bad thing that happened. And I, I believe that smart managers and leaders could come together and make difficult choices, not difficult, but like important structural changes that are needed for the long-term uh, viability of the organization. And that's the, that's the key business reason why we're doing this. Looking deeply into FAS and how we were structured, we uh, were fast approaching. As you know, FAS has been a very successful organization, especially in the last many years. Our business volume today is approaching $90 billion a year. Just two and a half years ago when I started this organization, we were operating about $75 billion. So just in the last two and a half years alone, we've increased our business volume by 20 to 25%. So when you look at that growth, and, we, and, and that ultimately that growth ties to the mission impact that we create for our agencies, the value that we create for them, the work that we do for them. And we were increasingly getting to a ceiling in the work that we could deliver. And that ceiling was, in, a lot, in many cases, determined by who we could recruit, where they had to live, what grades we could offer, what uh, limitations in terms of the number of slots and headcounts that are assigned to different regions versus others. And there's a lot of internal overhead around how we manage things the same way, processes that are different region to region had to be aligned and stayed aligned and a lot of engagement around how do we how do we how do we come together to agree on doing things the same way so our customers could benefit to me that that, that whenever an organization that's been successful and increasing amount of time is being spent on making sure that we're doing things consistently is an, is, a, is an indication that a deeper question needs to be asked around what is the value, what is the, what is the business case for maintaining the current structure? And so that's where we started. What is the value we're getting by being organized geographically? And what we realized is that many years ago, about 15 to 20 years ago, there was distinct value in being organized, organized geographically. We used to have warehouse distribution centers that were located all over the country. We had customers who were acquisition shops were located right down the street where we could go down and get papers signed or, or meet with them face-to-face. We, has, we used to have a lot of assets in the field from inventory to fleet uh, operations. But over time, many of those operations have been nationalized. If you look at our fleet program, we have assets all over the world. However, it's a nationally run program. We don't have regional teams that operate the fleet differently in each region. If you look at our personal property management uh, system, we have closed all of our warehouses. All of that work happens digitally in a nationwide sense. Any inventory around the world can be cataloged, uh, managed, and, and, and disposed of as needed, but in all from a central um, reporting structure perspective. So increasingly it became difficult to answer the question, why does the existing model still make sense as we look forward 5, 10, or 15 years? And so then the natural question was, okay, if, if we can't justify the existing model or defend the existing model, then what is the new model that does make sense? And we wanted to make sure that that question is answered bottom-up, not top-down. I didn't want to impose a particular point of view or a structure on the organization. I wanted that to be created by teams. And so we brought together a team of about 50 people from all over the organization and gave them this task for about a year to imagine the future of the organization and how it should be organized. And resoundingly, 
uh, all the teams came together to uh, to think about a structure that's aligned to our customer segments because ultimately that's a north star that we all need to strive towards. And so that's led to the organizational structure and all the new uh, kind of changes that we're going to be implementing soon. Sunny, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. My guest today is Sunny Hashmi, the Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at the General Services Administration. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Sunny Hashmi, the Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at GSA. I want to talk a little bit about metrics a little bit. How are you measuring the impact of this reorg? You'll have customer surveys. I know that. You'll probably have employee surveys. But are there certain metrics, if you could go through a couple, that, okay, this will show us that we're down the right path or this will show us we need to make some course corrections? Absolutely. So there's a couple of things that I – actually, three, the way I look at it. So there's many, many metrics, right? Obviously, in the procurement space, we have dozens of metrics we track on a, on a daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly basis. Everything from the procurement action life, uh, life cycle time, PALT, on how quickly we're turning around actions to the quality of the work that we're doing. However, in this particular case, I'm looking at three main things. Number one, my promise is that uh, we're doing this for the, for the long-term benefit of our customers. And so that needs to be reflected through both in surveys in terms of, uh, you know, the, the work that our case organization does day-to-day with our customers. We need to make sure that they're getting better value out of this, right? So they're getting less friction, less confusion, more answers, more, ha- more real-time support that they need. We're going to be closely monitoring that area. We're going to be actively measuring metrics in that space. Number two, it needs to lower burden uh, for our employees, and, and create new opportunities. One of the things that I've said from the very beginning is that the goal is that by going away from this geographically limiting model that we had operated under, that more employees will have access to more opportunities that open up across the organization. So I'm going to be looking at that. For example, in the next month alone, we're going to be announcing hundreds of new uh, leadership management uh, and uh, frontline supervisor opportunities that are going to be published that now everybody in GSA can participate in. And so that is a good metric for me. Instead of, so essentially looking at who's eligible to apply for which jobs, that number has to increase tenfold. And, I, and I'm certain that it will. Because historically it was like, if you're a GS13 and aspire to be a GS14, you're limited to the opportunities that might open up in your region. They may happen once in a while. Now you can apply to any GS14 uh, position opening up across FAS, which is going to be great. So that's another metric that we're going to be looking at. And the third is going to be recruitment. We have had severe challenges, not just us, but across the government. Recruiting new talent is becoming a more and more acute challenge. And so uh, while we made steady progress on that uh, front, in fact, for the last two years, proud to announce that we have hired more people than have departed FAS, which is not a... It sounds like a simple thing to do, but it's not. It, it takes tremendous effort. We want to see that, that number accelerate even further. And so the way we're going to be able to do that through this transition is to be able to recruit nationally through campaign-based approaches rather than individually for each, each opening that shows up. And so by doing that, cohort-based recruitment and, 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 and recruit nationally for all of these organizations – I think we're going to see some better recruitment numbers or in terms of like turnaround time or the talent that we are, number of applicants for each role that we publish, all those are good metrics for us to track. As we head into fiscal 2024, and I'm sure your folks are very happy to be talking about this in, in August and September as the federal fourth quarter was uh, getting busy. What's 2024 look like for FAS? What are maybe two or three other non-reorg priorities you'd want to highlight? 
One of the things that I'm very excited about in 2024 is that there's a lot of the work that we're doing, we have been doing over behind the scenes in terms of our process and systems modernization is going to start showing fruition. So we're going to be rolling out, for example, the catalog platform that is going to completely replace you know, legacy technologies like SIP and Core and completely change the experience for suppliers when they do business with us. So updating your catalog, doing modifications, all of, all of those going to be dramatically improved. Like I'm talking about weeks cut out of that process. And so we're excited about some of those uh, projects coming to a head and, uh, and finally uh, going to production. We are also uh, looking forward to supporting in partnership with the OMB uh, many of the important initiatives that are finally coming together. So really making a progress on cybersecurity uh, implementations in the, in the federal government. We are uh, working very actively with CISA, for example, to modernize a lot of the cybersecurity acquisition space uh, things. So, so raising the bar on zero trust, for example, we're doing a lot of work on there. Working very closely with OMB on uh, you know, defining a new path forward for AI talent in the government. So there's a lot of important work going on in these spaces. And lastly, there's going to be a lot of focus as we move forward on using the, uh, using the, the, the scale of, uh, of FAS to identify uh, opportunities for, to reduce taxpayer burden and cost. And so as you move forward into FY24, that's going to be an important area. We're going to be using a lot of the data that we are uh, pulling together now and have access to through the UEI program, through SAM, through uh, category management, through transactional data reporting, to really identify surgically, not just broad-based, everybody cut your budgets, but surgically identify spaces and areas where there's duplication or market uh, has changed and we need to rethink how we uh, contract for certain things, and that's going to be the right strategy for us to reduce cost. And lastly, I'm going to say, obviously, there's a lot of change going on in the FAS, uh, MAC, and GVAC world. We have Oasis Plus that is, uh, that is uh, being uh, moved forward. Polaris is uh, moving forward. Alliant 3 is starting out. And uh, we are uh, starting out in partnership with SBA, uh, creating this 8A pool on, uh, on the, the schedules program, which is going to be a game changer for a lot of small businesses. All of those programs require a lot of care and feeding, a lot of thought, a lot of focus. And we want to make sure that they, get, uh, they land uh, safely on the other side. You didn't mention Ascend, which I know there's 101 of them, but I will just assume that's, that's still going. Ascend is still going, yes. There's a lot more to be done on that front. Uh, more to come on Ascend. I know we have said this before. Listen, on the Ascend, I will say one blanket statement. We want to do the right thing rather than the expedient thing on Ascend. There is a business case to be made for Ascend. However, we want to do it in a way that actually adds value to agencies and for the industry. And so that requires some thinking. Uh, so more to come on that. This will require more engagement with industry. So we're going to be re- uh, coming out with more engagement opportunities for industry partners to tell us how we structure it so that it actually adds value. All right, Sonny, you know I could uh, talk to you for another 30 minutes, but unfortunately we're out of time. So let me thank my guest. Sonny Hashmi is the Federal Acquisition Service Commissioner at the General Services Administration. Sonny, always a pleasure to catch up. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate the time. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.